This sermon, an unexpected message, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Christmas Eve, Sunday, December 24th, 2023, at Sovereign Grace Church. You can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We are in the third part of our Christmas series. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at Luke 2 verse 14. And you know that our Advent has, this series is really focused on the, oh, you know what? I think I'm supposed to let the children, am I supposed to dismiss the kids? The younger ones. If your kids are in nursery, you are welcome to go. I'm sorry about that. That was not in my notes. I think the Holy Spirit just prompted me. (laughs) And expected. We have been in a series, The Unexpected at Advent, lowly local shepherds, the message of the good news brought to them, but most unexpected, Gentile magi from afar bowed at the feet of this little boy, Jesus, a a Jewish virgin girl, a blip on the map called Bethlehem. The unexpected at Advent. This is not the way most people would have written the script of the Savior of the universe entering the flow of fallen humanity. But as I thought about this week, you know, the irony here is that we've been celebrating the unexpected. But truth be told, we tend to fear the unexpected, right? We like our world's Ordered. We find comfort in our well-laid plans. No surprises, please. We all dread that unexpected phone call that bears bad news. In fact, we can even struggle at times with, with, with something even that's good if it's unexpected. Well, I really appreciate you doing that for me, but man, I just wish you would have told me ahead of, ahead of time. We, we struggle. It's in our human nature to struggle with the, the unexpected, but the truth is the unexpected is unavoidable, and at times it's unimaginable. You may or may not be aware, but, but just over the last couple weeks, we've had three, three different families deal with an unexpected death. Sierra Wilkins received the phone call a couple weeks ago that her brother was unexpectedly killed in a car accident. Kaylin Holloman lost her mother this week on a Thanksgiving trip, and unexpectedly, she began to experience serious health issues. And the Lord took her this week. John Hahn, I woke up to an email this morning. John Hahn said, hey, a former student and a young lady who, who, who attended our church for a season. She was on her way to travel for the holidays, and he just found out she was killed in a car accident. Both her young children are in the ICU. Unexpectedly. To you that I just mentioned and others experiencing suffering unexpectedly this Christmas, can I just... Allow these words by J.C. Ryle to minister to you. He says, let all true Christians remember that their best things are yet to come. 
Let's count it no strange thing if we have sufferings in this present time. It is a season of probation. We are yet at school. We are learning patience, long-suffering, gentleness, and meekness, which we could hardly learn if we had all our good things now. But there is an eternal holiday yet to begin. (laughs) For this, let us wait quietly. It will make amends for all. As if you're suffering this morning, this sermon isn't on suffering, but if that's where you are this morning, particularly if your suffering is unexpected, remember those words. There is for you an eternal holiday yet to come, and it will be so grand and glorious, it will make amends for all that you have experienced in this life. But that promise, that promise of heaven, that heavenly promise begins with Advent and its unexpected purpose and message that, that, that is meant to bring hope and joy, and as we will see this morning, peace to a life filled with the unexpected. So as we look at this song by the angels, really we have two parts if you're taking notes this morning, two points this morning. One, the, unex, the unexpected purpose of Christmas, and then we'll look at the unexpected promise of Christmas. But let's look at this first point this morning, the unexpected purpose of Christmas. Look at the opening phrase. In fact, let's just read the entire text and then we will pray. I'm going to begin in verse 13. You know the scene here. The the, the scene is that angels appeared before the shepherds. The angels are actually listening. the, The shepherds are listening to an angel talk to them, and then suddenly the sky opens up, and an angelic choir breaks out. Look at verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, would you use it now to affect our hearts? Notice that opening verse, glory to God in the highest. That's this angelic song, the angelic announcement, unto you today is born a Savior in the city of David. And then the sky opens and more angels than than you could count begin to belt out this heavenly hymn. And it begins with this. Glory to God in the highest. You know, I, I, I did a little exercise last couple of weeks. Every time I went to a store, I went to the Christmas card section. And uh, a few times I told my wife, I said, hey, I'll catch you at the register. I'm going to go look at the Christmas cards. And I was looking for one thing specifically. What do they say? What do they say? I read so many Christmas cards. They do have the religious section, which is like four cards. Um, but that's okay because those really aren't that great. <laughs> but I just, I begin to read the cards. What's the message? And what I found is there's, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of joy. There's, there, there's a lot of peace. They're good messages. They're positive messages. In some ways, they're biblical messages. I didn't actually, I should have done this, but I did not actually count how many cards I read over the past couple weeks. But do you know how many cards included this first line, glory to God in the highest? One. And it was in Spanish. 
<laughs> but I could tell what it said. One card out of, I don't know, 50, 60 that I must have read said glory to God in the highest. I bring that up because when the angels celebrate the first Christmas, when the cosmic announcement is made to the world, it didn't begin with you and me. It began with God. His glory. Not mine. Not yours. Not ours. But His glory. This is the purpose, the ultimate purpose of Christmas. The glory of God. If you wonder, well, what does that mean, glory? John Piper describes God's glory as the public display of God's infinite beauty and worth. I love that. The public display. In other words, we can see God's glory. The public display of His infinite, that is unending, His eternal beauty and worth. That, that, that's exactly what the angels are responding to on this first Christmas. The public display of God's endless beauty and worth in a little manger. You know what the Bible says about this baby that was born in Bethlehem? Colossians 1.19 says that in this manger lay the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that in this manger was the radiance of the glory of God. In John 1.14, it, John presents this baby in the manger as the word become flesh, full of grace, full of truth, full of the revelation of God and his glory. This is glory in a manger. This is God's glory in a manger. You know, the interesting thing about the angels who are proclaiming this, above all things, they were created to what? They were created to continually magnify and declare God's glory. Just think Isaiah 6. Just go read the book of Revelation. That's what you find them doing. And for this, they have been given a front row seat in heaven. They know God in ways. They have seen things about God that you and I one day will see. But, but they've never seen God's glory this way. They have never seen God's glory displayed as it is in the incarnation. God become flesh. God become Man, God was physically, the angels are declaring glory to God in the highest, for he has made himself present with man. He has made himself known to man in a way in which he has never made himself known. He has expressed his presence and his power and his grace and his love in a way that has never been expressed before. Throughout Scripture, we, we find angels worshiping, magnifying, and glorifying God, but they have never seen his glory like this. And when they did, 
And when they did, look at verse 13 again. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. The angels can't contain themselves. They burst forth in this cosmic hymn. I love what um, Charles Spurgeon says. He says, God is glorified in every dewdrop that twinkles to the morning sun. He is magnified in every flower that blossoms. God is glorified in every bird that warbles on the spray. Do not the fishes in the sea praise him? From the tiny minnow to the huge leviathan, do not all creatures that swim the water bless and praise his name? Do not the stars exalt him? Do not the lightnings adore him when they flash his brightness in arrows of light piercing the midnight darkness? Do not thunders extol him when they roll like drums in the march of God's armies? Do not all things exalt him from the east, from the least even to the greatest? But sing, sing, O universe, till thou hast exhausted thyself. Thou canst not afford a song so sweet as the song of incarnation. Amen. Listen, we, this morning we, we have something in common with this scene. We have something in common with these angels. We too were created to the praise and glory of God. Our existence is meant to be upward just as the angels were. Our, our highest motivation in all that we are and do is God's glory. Our greatest goal in life is God glorified in and through us. Boy, today everybody wants a cause. Everybody feels like they need a cause. Everybody needs to be an activist. Everybody needs to be out on the street pounding some nail. Here's our nail. God's glory in and through my life. That, that's our cause. It's the angel's cause. And it's our cause as well. And Christmas reminds us of that. It's the first words that come from the angels as they announce this Savior that has come. Glory to God in the highest. Now you know this, but, but just let me remind you. In the garden, something happened. Right? Adam and Eve exchange the glory of God for the glory of self. And ever since then, we've been trying to do the same. We've been trying to rip glory out of God's hands and keep it for ourselves. We tend to forget God's glory. And so instead of living upward, we live inward. Life is about me. Paul Tripp says, we have a glory problem. All of us are in the midst of a glory war. I love that language. We all have moments of glory confusion. We all have times when we want the creation more than we want the creator. Just ask my wife. When someone cuts in front of me on Oracle, especially when I'm on the motorcycle, in my anger, I'm not thinking about God's glory. Here's what I'm thinking. Did you know who I am? Nobody cuts me off. That's my glory. That's my glory. When you choose the secret sin 
of lust, you exchange God's glory for the glory of your momentary self-pleasure. When we choose to ignore the sin of a friend or a spouse or a child for the sake of relational peace, we are choosing our glory over God's glory. You ever heard of the you ever heard of stolen valor? If you're in the military, I'm sure you have. There's actually a stolen valor act of 2013 that in essence says that anyone who fraudulently, especially for financial gain, who fraudulently puts themselves forth as a, as a heroic uh, military, uh, uh, you know, receiving some kind of medal. There's actually a list, I think like 10 different medals that's covered under this act. It's a law in our country. If you, are found, that, if you are found fraudulently declaring that for yourself, it's called stolen valor. They can throw you in jail. Well, every day, we, we, we are trying to steal God's glory for ourselves. It's not stolen valor. It's stolen glory. And here's the deal. God will win. <laughs> God will be magnified. He will be glorified. He does that in a number of different ways. But, but before we just roll into the promise of Christmas here, I just, are, you, are, are, are you stuck in a glory war with God? Is there an area of your life where it is not glory to God in the highest? It's glory to me in the highest. It's glory to me at all times. I'm not going to try and tell you what that might be. The Spirit of God is here. He convicts. He draws people to repentance. He bears fruit in the lives of those who humble themselves and repent before Him. But I can tell you this, if you're like me, and I know you are, we all have areas where we, of our lives, where we are in a glory war. Well, Christmas comes and uniquely reminds us why we exist, to bring glory to God in the highest. Allow this Christmas, allow this Christmas to be the time, if you will, that you wave the white flag of surrender and give God the glory due his name. Whether that's with your thoughts, it's with your actions, or it's, or it's with your words. End the glory war. Surrender yourself and proclaim with the angels glory to God in the highest. Now, God's glory is revealed in this baby in the manger, yes. But it was ultimately revealed by what this baby would grow up and accomplish at a cross. And there's a promise here that leads us to that. The angel's song celebrates that moment that moment when Mary has given birth, God in flesh, God incarnate, glory in a manger, God's presence with man. But the second part of the song points us forward to what this baby would do 
at Christmas, we get a glimpse of Easter, if you will. And that's our second point this morning. There is this unexpected promise that we, that we find in Christmas. Look at verse 14 again. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace. Yeah, peace is part of the Christmas promise. Isn't that good to know? I think peace is one of the deepest longings of the human spirit. Peace in the home. I just want peace in my marriage. Peace in our politics. Peace in the world. We long for peace. And there's a good reason for that. We were created for peace. We long for peace because we were created for it. And in our longing, we tend to think that we can fulfill this innate desire for peace on our own, right? Peace through strength. Peace through tolerance. Peace through passivism. Peace through understanding. Peace through political revolution. We tend to think that we can make this happen. But the peace that the angels are talking about here, the peace that we were created for, is not horizontal. So important. We were not created for horizontal. We were not created for this world. If you feel creation groaning, if you feel and you know that, that, that your life is ultimately unfulfilling and unsatisfying, then you know you weren't created for this world. You are in this world, but you are not of this world. We were created for something else. And the peace that we're created, it's vertical. The peace the angels proclaim here at the first Christmas was not an absence of hostility between first century Romans and Jews. The peace here is not found in 21st century geopolitical agreements between Palestinians and Jews. This peace is not an absence of conflict in my home. It's not, it's not found in personal financial freedom. It's not found in, in emotional well-being. The peace that's proclaimed by the angels here transcends those things. It transcends time and human relationships and political hostilities and even your own life circumstances. This peace is the most basic human need. An inward, internal, eternal peace with God. You're not going to find it here. You're not going to find it here. It's found in this baby boy. Peace with God is, whether or not you see it, whether or not you believe it, 
Just because we don't believe something doesn't mean it's not true. <laughs> I know that's radical in this culture, but it's true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. But this is our greatest need. Because of sin, because of Adam's sin in the garden that polluted everyone's human nature, polluted mankind, it's why we sin. Because of our sin, because of my sin, we need peace with God, and it only comes one way. You can't vote it in. Can't have a big enough savings account to make it happen. You might be able to buy love, but you can't buy peace. Not this peace. It's glory in a manger. It's glory in a manger. You know Isaiah 9 and foretelling the birth of Christ. Isaiah 9 calls this baby the prince of peace. And that wasn't just a title. Certainly he would come and he will, he will fulfill our greatest need by, by breaking down Ephesians 2, the hostilities. By transferring us from being enemies of God, Romans 5, to sons and daughters of God, Ephesians 2. But he would become our peace. He isn't just a ticket to peace. He is our peace. Let me remind you again a little bit of, about world history. I, I just mentioned this. Adam was in the garden, and there was peace with God. He was created for that. Adam and Eve were created for that, and they experienced perfect peace with God. But that peace was destroyed the moment Adam chose to rebel against God. And the peace between God and man in the history of the world. It was destroyed. It's why the world is the way it is. It's why true peace is so elusive. We are the problem. The people pursuing the peace horizontally, well, you're the peace, you're the peace breaker. I'm the problem. Sin is the problem. Sin is my, my sin has made me enemy, an enemy of God. I love what Raymond Ray Ortland Jr. says. He says, why is the world such a mess? You and I are the problem. <laughs> our good intentions are not strong enough to control our evil impulses. Can't help but sin. We need a savior to rescue us from ourselves. What did the angel say to the shepherd's boy in verse 11 and 12? Unto you is born in the city of David a what? Christ the Lord, a Savior. He came to save us from our sin and thus give us peace with God. He is the only answer to our peace dilemma. He's laying in a cold and stinky manger, but he is our Savior. He would go on to live a perfect life. He, he would go on to satisfy the demands of God's glory. And though he was perfect in righteousness from the manger to the cross, he would stand in our stead at the cross and bore the punishment for our sins. His righteousness for my sin, his death for your life, his condemnation for your 
justification. That word justification, uh, it, it, it's, a, it's an old word, but it's such a beautiful word. In fact, justification is the precious doctrine that is at the heart of Christmas. You can't, you can't have Christmas without justification. It's at the heart. It's at the heart of Christmas. Justification, it simply means this, that when God looks upon you, if you're in Christ by faith, when God looks upon you, he looks upon you as if you had never sinned. And there's more. As if you had never sinned, but completely obeyed. It's amazing. On account of Jesus' righteousness, God declares you righteous in his eyes. Justification, to be justified before God means that there is no sin for him to judge. Why? Because Christ took your sin upon himself and he paid for it fully at the cross and the empty tomb is the stamp of God's approval that says, yes, that's acceptable. Yes, it's accomplished. And when you stand justified before God, it means that there is, well, there, there is no sin for him to punish. And your sin is what puts you at enmity with God. And so what you have is you have now peace with God. The death of Jesus has removed the sin that puts you in conflict with God and his righteousness is credited to you and the result is peace. Peace. It's like a judge looking at you. And if I could say, and you're hiding behind Christ. <laughs> So that when he says my name, Derek, he sees his son. And when he sees his perfect son, he concludes, there is no crime to punish. That's the doctrine of justification in a nutshell. And that... Understanding this peace in that way, it helps us understand how this angelic proclamation can end the way it does. Notice verse 14. He says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those who, with whom he is pleased. No, this is not a, a statement of, universal, of universalism. No, it's not a statement that you can go out and you can be so good, you could earn God's favor and he would be pleased with you. You and I could never do good enough. We could never be good enough for God to save us. Scripture's clear. Jesus said it when he came. We love John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he came, right? That whosoever believed might have... Well, what does verse 17 say? Well, we don't like verse 17 because verse 17 says, well, everybody's already condemned. I didn't come to judge the world. Everybody's already condemned, right? We don't like that part, but it's true. And the gospel doesn't make sense if we don't embrace that 
part. That is the bad news of Christmas. That we stand condemned before God on our own. How could God ever be pleased with me? It's impossible. He's endless in his holiness. He's infinite in his righteousness. And he demands that his perfect righteousness be lived up to. That's why Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and what? And fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus came and he lived a life that did not fall short of the glory of God. It measured up perfectly. And in the gospel, in justification, in Christ, God says that that baby born in a manger, between that manger and the cross, he lived perfectly. And I credit all of that perfection to you. That's why Romans 5.1 says, Now through faith we are justified and have what? Peace with God. Church, this is the unexpected promise of Christmas. And no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, even if you did it last night, even if you did it this morning, in Christ Jesus, all fear, and in Christ Jesus only, all fear of God's holy wrath is gone. Like that. And you might say, well, holy wrath, what are you talking about? My life is good. <laughs> Things are clicking. Everything I touch, it turns to gold. Relationships, money, Ideas, you should see my resume, good for you. Enjoy life, but this is the best it'll get. Because God's holy wrath is coming. Christ will return and judge. And each one will, every human being ever born will pay the price for their sin, which the scriptures teach us clearly is eternal damnation. And the only way to escape that and experience for the rest of your life the blisses of heaven is this Christmas promise of justification before the throne of God above. Where? Where? This is amazing. Listen to this. For those in Christ, God will say, Well done. I am pleased with you. 
When Jesus came on the scene in his ministry, do you remember the words that bellowed from God himself from the clouds? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. He speaks those words over you today if you are in Christ Jesus by faith. And he will speak those words in an unfathomable and unending way one day when you see him face to face in heaven. This is the unexpected promise of Christmas. This baby boy in a manger is not only the glory of God revealed, but the means of the sinner's peace with God accomplished. That's what happens at Christmas. God's glory is revealed in the one who he will accomplish the sinner's peace through. That's the good news for lowly shepherds, for elite magi, and us today. So learning from our wonderful choir this morning. If you're here this morning, you're not a believer. Do you know why Luke wrote this, by the way? Do you know why he wrote this account of Jesus' birth? And for that matter, his entire gospel? Well, just flip over one page to Luke 1. He's writing this to a man named Theophilus. And notice what he says in verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Why? That you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Luke wrote this so that Theophilus, so that you and I would believe and have certainty that our belief isn't only experiential, but it's experience rooted in history. You are here. You have heard the purpose and promise of Christmas. Now will you believe? Will you believe? You're not promised tomorrow. I talked to somebody who got the unexpected phone call. A sibling on the way to work. Normal day. Car accident took his life. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're, you're not even guaranteed the end of this sermon. Will you... Believe, will you, will you approach the Lord in your heart? Acknowledge the sinner that you are and ask him to have mercy on you and apply the blood and righteousness of this one that we read about in Luke 2 so that you might have eternal peace with him. It's called the forgiveness of sins and it's real. It's real. 
You aren't, you aren't too lowly. But pastor, you don't know what I did this week. I don't, that's okay. I don't have to. You aren't too lowly. He came to shepherds. And you aren't too smart. Well, that primitive Christianity stuff, we don't need that anymore. I mean, the enlightenment, come on, get with it. Don't you know we've made a turn in history? We don't need this stuff anymore. Oh, oh, yes, we do. You aren't smart enough. The Magi, the Magi, they were smart dudes. And when they finally got to Jesus, they bowed down and worshiped him. Will you believe this morning? It's all of grace, but God is willing to save all who come to him in genuine humility and repentance, putting their faith in him for their peace. It's what Romans 10 promises. If you are a believer, (laughs) praise God. But let me ask you, are you anxious about the future? Are you discouraged about life? Are you angry at God about circumstances? Listen, all of these sinful attitudes, they rob you of the full benefit of the peace you have with God in Christ Jesus. They rob you of that. And really, they are simply expressions of you trying to wrestle away God's glory for yourself. Life isn't going like I want it to. (laughs) So we get angry at God. We don't trust him. Is that you this morning? Let me remind you what Philippians 4, 6 says on this Christmas morning. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In other words, draw near to God. Turn away from that which you're fearful of. Turn away from that which, which, which you are, are aiming your anger at and turn to God. And here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That, that imperative has a connection to the manger in Luke 2. <laughs> or consider Isaiah 26.3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. It's not out here. It's up here. To be clear, it's a work of grace. And to be equally clear, it's a work that God does in us as we, like the angels, surrender all the glory to God. If I can have the worship team come up. I want to end with these words from Paul Tripp. He says, if you would for a moment reflect on your last couple weeks, you will recognize, brothers and sisters, that you and I still have a glory problem. We don't always get glory right. Recognize that we have a peace problem. We don't always care about peace with God. We don't always have peace within. We surely don't always experience peace with one another. (laughs) I love this. And so, the work of grace is as needed by us 
this morning as it ever has been. Doesn't matter how good your devotions were this morning. Doesn't matter how many times you shared the gospel this week. Doesn't matter how well your home is doing or your kids are doing. Doesn't matter how much you give to your church. Doesn't matter about how well your, your attendance is. We need this this morning. We need to be reminded of the angel's song and what it truly means for all of mankind and in particular for each one of us individually and even for us collectively as a church. He goes on to say, and so the work of that grace is as needed by us this morning as it's ever been. The angels announce your hope. Not just hope back then, but hope today. The angels announce your redemption, which is clear in the angel's song. The angels announce to you grace, grace of a life lived, grace of a death offered, so that you may live for his glory and you may experience in all the ways possible his peace. Listen, as we all await the eternal holiday in heaven that will make amends for everything that we've experienced in this life, may our song be the angel's song. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased by faith in Christ and Christ alone. Let's stand and sing.